Take your Bibles, turn with me, if you will, to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians, in the New Testament, one of the letters of Paul. Um, I always know where to find it because I was taught as a child to look for the GE Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, right? And so, turn to Colossians chapter 1. We are in the midst of a series that we are calling the Fundamental List. And the idea behind it is that we are looking at the essential questions of life. That everyone that has ever lived, that everyone that will ever live, has to answer. Four essential questions. We're halfway through the series as of last week. We've got two more weeks of this series and the first question is, how do we get here? The second is, what went wrong? We, uh, third question that we'll talk about today is, can we fix it? And then the last question is, what do we do when we understand all of those other questions? And so the first week of the series, we asked the question, how did we get here? And we talked about the reality that the one and only God created everything. And we went in depth about who God is and what he is like and his character and the attributes of who he is, his sovereignty, his complete control over everything, his creative ability. In Genesis chapter 1 it says that he created literally out of nothing. He is the only one in the entire Bible that is said to have created something out of nothing. There weren't any raw materials. Now I'm not a, I'm not a crafter. I know that's shocking to y'all. I'm not a crafty person, but here's what I know. In order to craft, you have to have the raw materials to craft, and you have to have something that has already been made to be the basis for whatever else you are creating. We use that word creating to mean that we take the raw materials that are given to us and make something new. What God did is he took nothing and made all that we know. So the one and only God created everything, including us. He set the first man and woman in a garden of perfection and gave them the right to live freely and converse with him and be in fellowship with him regularly. And so the question we asked last week is, so what went wrong? What happened? Because it's obvious looking around, and we could do this every week. If you remember, I had the screenshots of all of the stuff that had happened just in the news in the last week. We could do it brand new one this week with all the things that have happened. Because even as we are here today, a hurricane bearing down on the California coast, trials and tribulations and crime, personal vendettas, in our own lives, difficulties and snags that are happening. We talked about what went wrong Well, what went wrong is sin, that we chose to go against the will of God, and as a result, we find ourselves in a broken, fallen world. And the question that we ask this week is, so can we fix it? If this is what's wrong with the world, can we fix it? This is the question that over 4,000 different groups and ultimate concerns and faith entities and religions that are recognized worldwide have tried to answer. The basis of almost every religion in the world is, how do we fix what is wrong with the world? 
How do we fix ourselves? How do we fix those around us? How do we fix society? How do we fix what is wrong? And almost all of the world's religions come to a similar conclusion, which is there is a standard we must live by, and if we live close enough to that standard, if we do enough in that standard, if we're good enough, then we will fix ourselves and gain access to whatever else there is. When you think about the major religions of the world, Islam has pillars of faith. Hinduism has certain sacred things that they can and can't do. Even Judaism kind of bases itself on the laws of God and how they line up with that. All the major world religions have a standard that we live to, and their answer to can we fix it is yes. And here's your list of rules to follow. Christianity is unique. C.S. Lewis one time was at a conference where they were talking about the uniqueness of Christianity. And they asked the question, what makes it different than any other of the world religions? What makes it different than anything else? What is the unique characteristic of it? And they had scholars in the room that had been discussing it for a while And C.S. Lewis reportedly walked into the room and said, that's easy, it's grace. The only thing that the other ones don't have that Christianity does is that it's not based on a list of rules that we follow. It is based on grace through a person named Jesus. And here's the reality when we think about that. When we think about Jesus and we think about the grace that is offered to us in him and we think about all that is in that idea, the reality is, can we fix it? No. You and I can't fix anything about our sinful condition, about the world which which we live. We can't do anything on our own. But Jesus did. Here's the thing to think about. I, I, I saw this this week. I don't know where I saw it or why. I guess God knew I needed to 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 have it part of this this message. Most people estimate that in the history of the world there have been somewhere between 50 billion and 100 plus plus billion people that have lived on the earth. 50 billion to 100 plus billion people. And here's the thing. Almost all of them, here give you some depressing news today. Almost all of them die and are forgotten within a generation or two. Here's the good news for you. Nobody's going to remember you in a hundred years. Right? So, like... Don't take that to me. Well, I can do whatever I want to, right? The the legacy that you leave, the impact that you leave will still be here. But you think about, we've talked about this one other time, I think. You think about how many generations back in your family do you remember? Now, some of you are the Ancestry.com people, and you've got it mapped for generations. But most of us, we remember our grandparents or maybe our great-grandparents, and maybe they told stories about somebody else. In my family, I think back to my mom and dad, obviously, to my grandparents on both sides. I was fortunate enough to know them. 
except for my grandfather who died before I was born. And then I even got to know some great-grandparents, Mama Bush and Daddy Bill. But I don't know past Mama Bush and Daddy Bill. I didn't know their family, and I don't know them. And to be honest with you, the memories that I have of them are fading. So, 100 billion people in the midst of the history of the world, and very few of them are remembered at all. Most of them have lived, have died, and have been forgotten. There have been just a few people, just a handful of people, who have risen to great prominence, whose names are known throughout history, whose names today are household names. And there is one of them that stands above them all, who is absolutely, totally, uniquely in a class by himself. The subject of the of of many different varieties of information. He's had more attention, more devotion, more criticism, more adoration, more opposition than any other person in the history of the world. Every recorded word that he spoke has been studied, analyzed, discussed, scrutinized, and criticized by generations of philosophers and scholars and theologians and historians. There's not a single moment since his life on this earth came till right now in which people are not talking about him. When he was born, he literally divided history into two different places, before him and after. He splits history. It's amazing to think about that when you think about who Jesus was on this earth. He never wrote a book. But more books have been written about him than any other man in history. He never painted a picture as far as we know. He never wrote a poem or composed a song. Yet think of the art, the music, the literature, the sculptures, the pictures, the films, the videos that have been done concerning him. He never raised an army, and yet millions have laid down their lives for his cause. His travels only went a few miles from his birthplace, but today around the world his influence is felt. I was looking uh, this week at some of the stats on our video stuff, and it's just amazing to me sometimes when you see the reach of even something as simple as our sermon videos. In the last five years, we've had people in Korea, Afghanistan, Malaysia, and multiple other countries that have all watched those videos. Today... On every continent, people are talking about him. When he spoke, he never spoke at one time more than a few thousand people, but today over 30% of the world's populations names him and worships him. It's the largest religious group that has ever been known. His ministry lasted only three years. His public ministry and influence was a short time by earthly standards, and yet today his name is broadcast on radio and television and internet all across the world. He never had a formal education. He was a carpenter's son, and yet more universities and seminaries and schools and centers of learning have centered around him than any other person. He never owned any property. When he wanted to sail, he had to borrow a boat. When he wanted to feed people, he had to borrow somebody's lunch. When he wanted to ride, he had to borrow a donkey. When he wanted to pay his taxes, he had to find a coin in a fish's mouth. And yet, think of the buildings and the places that have been built 
in honor of him. Former pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church, Dr. R.G. Leet, had inscribed in his Bible that he used this phrase about him. Jesus Christ, Son of Man without sin, Son of God with power, literature's loftiest ideal, philosophy's highest personality, criticism's most supreme problem, theology's fundamental doctrine, Christianity's cardinal necessity, heaven's bread for earth's hunger, heaven's water for earth's thirst, heaven's glory for earth's shames, heaven's grace for earth's guilt, heaven's hope for earth's despair, heaven's love for earth's hate, heaven's peace for earth's strife, heaven's forgiveness for earth's sins, heaven's life for earth's deaths. To explain Jesus is impossible. To ignore him is disastrous. And to reject him is fatal. But today we want to talk about that. On the other hand, to know him is to love him. And to love him is to believe him. And to believe in him is to be saved. To be radically, eternally transformed by him. There's no way in the next 30 minutes that I could ever explain who Jesus Christ is. Not in fullness, not in totality. That's an impossible task. If we were to stay here for the next five hours, we don't plan to, but if we did, it would not be enough. There's no way that you can fully explain Jesus in a lifetime. And yet, our task today is try to ask the question, how... Is Jesus the answer to what has messed up the world? Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 9 says, For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transfers us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Verse 15 starts what we believe is an early hymn of the early church. When I say early church, I mean like early church. Like 40, 50 A.D., 60 A.D., just 10, 15, 20 years after Jesus. And some people even believe, because of the way it's constructed and the way it is written, and I'm not going to give you the 400 pages of information that you could get on that, that it may be a hymn written by Paul himself that was used in the early church. He is, Jesus, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. 
He is before all things, and by Him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile everything to Himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds and expressed in your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard, the gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. Paul wrote this letter to a group of people that he had never met before. He had never been to the city of Colossae. He had never met the Colossians. But he had heard reports about them. And it's important for us to understand the background that he's writing here in order for us to understand why he's saying what he's saying. Paul had heard reports that they didn't quite understand the view of God that they needed to understand. And that they didn't understand why he was always in jail for the gospel. Like, if you have been saved, if you're free, why are you always in jail? Why are you always suffering? Why are you always having difficulties? So Paul writes this letter to kind of explain that to them. See, Colossae was a prosperous place. It was right in the middle of the Roman Empire in modern day Turkey. And they had this rule in the Roman Empire that if you wanted to follow a different religion, there were a couple of things that you needed to know about it. First of all, if you wanted to follow a different religion, that was okay. You could do it. Just do it in private where nobody else would know about it and never, ever claim that yours is the only religion to follow. They believed that you could pick and choose from various religions. In fact, in their city they had all of these temples and shrines to other gods. And they would go and just kind of say, well, I like this part of that religion and this part of this religion and this part of that religion. It reminds me a little bit, anybody here a fan of the uh, frozen yogurt places? Where you go get your yogurt and then you just put whatever toppings you want on it and then you pay, I don't know, $500 per pound or something? Right? Like you put it on there. And some people are like, you know, you get a good base. Like, you know, like obviously the swirl is the best base of a mix of vanilla and chocolate. And you get that base. And then you, some people are just simple. They just put a little few Oreo cookies and some whipped cream and some chocolate sauce. And that's it. And some people are like making masterpieces with gummy worms and sprinkles and a variety of different toppings, right? And y'all know in your family who's the artist and who's the simpleton, right? I'm a simpleton, plain, some good stuff on it, and we're good, right? Some people treat their faith that way. Well, I got a decent base. I grew up in a church, and I kind of know what that is. But you know what? There's some stuff that's interesting about what this people are or what they believe or who they are or what they've got. And I'm just going to put that on top. And then when I get it all together, I've constructed what I want. And Paul writes to them to say, listen, there is no hope in anything else other than Jesus. And the reason for that, he tells us, is because Jesus is first in all things. 
Three things in particular I want us to notice in this passage that Jesus is first in that shows us where the Father is showing us the revelation about how Jesus fixes our issues. And the first is that he reveals the Father. That's right there in verse 15. It says, He is the image of of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now we'll deal with the second part of that in just a moment when we talk about creation. But there at the beginning when it says, He is the image of the invisible God. Those words put together in the original language literally mean He is the exact representation of God Almighty, of God the Father. He is a picture of who God is. He represents him. He shows him. He demonstrates him for us. Now, we understand that in our own way, sometimes with our own children, right? Sometimes it's hard on our children because they look too much like us, right? Some of our children could give an amen on that, I think. I remember a couple years ago we moved Eli in. To union, and he went to some uh, ministry fair or something on campus there, and he walked up to a table to some people I'd gone to union with, and they said, "You have to be Lyle Larson's son." Like it's hard to deny that, right? People look at my children; they kind of they can tell, right? We, we used to say he is a spitting image or a chip off the old block, and the idea is he's like him; he looks like him. But what's more troublesome sometimes is that we see in our kids not only the physical attributes of who we are, but the character attributes of who we are, right? And one of the things that I've said in my life is the things that frustrate me about myself drive me absolutely nuts in my kids. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord? Like, you know you got that problem. You didn't need to take that from me for sure, right? Because our kids, more than anything they they want to be, turn into some version of our family line. Um, I, I know that sometimes I look at pictures on Facebook or Instagram of people that I graduated high school with almost 30 years ago now. And I look at them and I was like, when did they turn into their parents? Like, that's what their parents look like, right? The word here used means that Jesus is more than just a chip off the old block or a spitting image. He is the exact representation of God. In fact, the word that is used is the Greek word icon. He is the icon of God, which means that what you see in Jesus is a representation of God. Now, here's why that's important. Paul is writing to people and saying there are all kinds of disputes about who God is and what he's like and what he, what he, how he moves and how he acts and how he lives in this world. And the question you need to ask yourself is not how do I know this invisible, unseen God? The question is what does Jesus reveal about him? In Matthew eleven twenty seven, it says, No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and whoever the Son reveals the Father to. So why is Jesus the answer to the question of what went wrong and what can we do in fixing it? Because he shows us what God is like and what the standard truly is and who it is that we are following. In John chapter 14, there's this discussion going on between Jesus and the disciples. And he gives them this really encouraging note. 
And he says, don't worry, stop worrying, don't be afraid. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I go prepare a place for you, I'll come back and get you. Don't worry at all. And I love this scene with Jesus because it feels like being a preacher or a father sometimes when you give something that you just think is gold, is awesome. And then somebody looks at you and goes, yeah, but i got a question about that. Jesus says, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. And Thomas goes, uh, yeah, how do we get there, Jesus? We don't, we don't know the way. We can't go. And Jesus says, what? Verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he says, no one goes to the Father except through me. The point that he's making in that passage and the point that we need to understand is this, that we can't understand who Jesus is and we can't understand how to get to God without studying the life and the message of Jesus. He reveals the Father as the exact representation. He also, it tells us in this passage, rules over creation. Now, it tells us that right there in verse 15 there, again, he is the image of the invisible God. And then the second part of that is he is the firstborn over all creation. The word firstborn there is a, something that we can be confusing to us because we talk about our firstborn child. And it means that somebody that came that wasn't and that came. That is not what is intended here in this word. In fact, that word firstborn means position or prototype, that he is over before Above creation. In fact, it uses the language of Genesis chapter 1 him to understand what he's talking about. He is the firstborn. Everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. Now here's what's crazy about that a little bit is that there's one word that's repeated again and again and again in this passage, and it is the Greek word pos. And the Greek word pos means all. And we know in this church that all means all, right? Pos means all. So we could say pos means pos. All means all. And so when it says that all things are created through him, all things are created by him, All things are created for him. It literally means all. It means he is above and creation in a way that we can't even comprehend. That he is the one that made it perfect. He is the one that established it perfect. That God used him as the agent of creation from the very beginning. When it says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That the agency of that was through Jesus. That Jesus was right next to the Father. However that Trinitarian understanding of God exists. That Jesus and God are separate but one. That they are three persons with the Spirit in one. That Jesus was the instrument of creation in that moment. And as he spoke, the world came into being. And so the one who created is able to recreate. There's lots of discussions about how the world came into existence, and I know we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, but I just ran across this uh, quote from a guy named Fred Hoyle, who is a scientist in England, and he said that he's run the calculations, and for our universe to be created as it is by chance, 
The chance of that, he said, is if you took a die, a single dice, and you rolled it five million times, the chance of the earth just existing by chance is the same chance you would have of rolling a six on all five million rolls. That it just doesn't add up unless there is an actor. And it's not just the creation of the world that defies understanding for scientists. They're not even sure how the basic form of existence holds together. In Walter Isaacson's book on Einstein, he talks about the fact that Einstein and other scientists, some of the smartest people that have ever existed, have no idea how the atom holds together. Because the forces in shot side should propel it apart. And they have said, there is this kind of nebulous kind of saying, they said, it is the power greater than we know. Jesus is the one who spoke and the world came into being. Jesus is the one who sustains it even today. And Jesus is the reason for creation. It is all about him. It says it right there that he is before all things and by him all things hold together. All things have been created through him and then it has this phrase, and for him. The purpose of creation is Jesus. He is the reason for all things, the glory and majesty of his name, the worship of who he is, the love that he gives through the world. We know that scripture shows us that he came to this earth to demonstrate who God is to us, that he is the creator of all things, the one that holds it together, the sustainer of life. He is the one that brings all things into the place where he can show off the power and the majesty and the love of God. He is the purpose. If you ever struggle with the reason you're here, I can give you a simple one-word answer, and that is Jesus. You ever worry about what the point of your life is? The simple one-word answer, it's Jesus. Now, it's easy in our world to get distracted by all kinds of things. It's easy to have things distract us and move us away and forget our purpose and our reason and take us down the path of the broken world that we're in, to take us to other places to try to find salvation. And yet the reason for our existence, the reason that we are here, the purpose of our lives is to glorify God through His Son Jesus and to extend the reign of His kingdom so that people will come to understand who He is. Jesus, it tells us, reveals the Father, and rules over creation. And then lastly, it tells us that he reconciles sinners. This actually starts where we started kind of in the front, but verse 13 tells us that he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The question of how we got to where we got is because of the sin in our lives. The question of how we are back to where we need to be is that Jesus saves us from our sins and reconciles us, brings us back, makes it right between the Father 
and us. And the reality is that there is no other way. I just want to be kind of upfront with you today. There is an enemy of your soul that wants more than anything else in your life for you not to realize the importance of Jesus. This, this, uh, this series, this message has been on my preaching calendar on where I was going for weeks now. And this week, as I have moved towards this message, and this morning, even as we have approached this time, there have been multiple distractions that have happened. And just as your pastor standing here, I can tell you that today is the most distracted that I could have been in bringing a message to you based on the week before and on just things that have happened today. Audrey backstage, I said, just just one of those days, stuff not working exactly right. We're making tweaks here. We are excited about some changes that we're making as a church to help our live stream stay online, actually. You probably hear water running behind you. We have a baptism scheduled that we're going to baptize today. We got here this morning. There's no water in the baptistry. That's an issue. Right? That's a little distracting. So the baptism in a few minutes, we're going, we're going to baptize, and it's not going to be warm. And we're going, to, we're going to do it, though, for the glory of God. Sorry, Amy, but that's where it's going on, right? And it's a glorious baptism. Last week after service, Amy Harrison, who's going to be baptized, walked up to me and said, I've never gone all the way under. I think it's time. Follower of Christ, following in the first step of obedience to be baptized as an adult. This is the most distracting stuff that's happened in service since I've been preaching that I can remember. Movement and people getting up, and I know there are reasons and all of that. I'm just saying, somebody doesn't want you to hear this today. There's somebody in this room or multiple people in this room that need to hear whatever mess you're in, whatever you've got in your life going on. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you haven't accepted the salvation that comes from him, today is the day. There is no other way by which we can get to the Father. There is no other hope to fix what is inside of you, the guilt and the shame and the sin and the stuff you have messed up. There is no other way but Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. He is before all things and through all things and all things are for him. And he is the one who reconciles us, who brings us back to the Father, who gives us hope and a future that changes us from the inside out, that recreates the heart that we need. And there's somebody in this room today that does not yet know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And today is the day. And for some of you in this room, you're a follower of Jesus, but you've got junk, man, going on in your life. And there is stuff that you don't know where it came from, and you're like, I don't know how to fix it. Here's the truth. You can't. But that's what Jesus does. Now, I'm not saying he fixes everything in your finances or your family overnight, but here's what I know for sure. There is hope and there is peace and there is life in him alone. 
There's some of you in this room that need to hear that today. That Jesus is the one that holds it together. That Jesus is the one that is overseeing it all. And that Jesus is the one that will bring you forgiveness. Some of you need to confess some sin to the Lord. Even though you're a believer in Christ, you have something that is weighing you down, that is holding you back, that is keeping you from being able to fulfill the mission of your life. And you need to let that go. And the only way to let that go is Jesus. Last Sunday night, we had an awesome Awesome time of prayer here at the church. Our first is night of prayer. It was awesome. We're going to have another one. It'll be November. We're going to have another night of prayer. Go ahead and give you that idea. I, I want to encourage you to be here. We, we had a great group of people here. I'd love for all of you to be here. And we spent time. It, it was interesting because um, we were here about an hour and 15 minutes, hour and a half. And, and the first hour of that, we did adoration and confession and thanksgiving. We didn't get to the part of asking God for anything until an hour in. I was just reminded again of our need to understand the goodness of God and to confess to Him those things in our lives where we have fallen short and then to trust when we confess it, it's gone. It's gone. Some of you right now are just sitting there like, just get done with this, get over with it, finish it up. Because you know there's something you need to let go of or confess to the Lord. Verse 18. It says, For God let all the fullness of God dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile everything to Himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. And you want a declaration of glorious stuff? Verse 21, because we were once alienated and hostile in our minds and as expressed in our evil actions. He says we were against God. We were distant from Him. We were separated from Him. We were hostile toward Him. He was our enemy because of our actions and our choices and our desires and our wants. But... Praise be to God. He has now made it right through His death to present us to the Father as holy, thoughtless, blameless before Him. If we remain steadfast and aren't shifted, He's saying the truth of this is you will show this, you will demonstrate over your life that the gospel has been changing in your life. It is transforming in your life. So the question that I have today for you is this. What do you need Jesus to do in your life? Do you need to be saved? Be changed? Do you need to accept the salvation that comes from Him? Maybe you are someone that's like, man, I, I, like Amy, I, I've never been baptized since I was saved. And baptism doesn't save you, but it is important when it comes. It comes after salvation. And we baptize like Jesus was baptized, which is all the way under. Maybe you say, it's time for me to do that. Maybe it's time for you to join what's happening here at First Baptist. Or maybe it's just time for you to release some stuff from the Lord, to the Lord. In just a moment, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. And when I finish praying, we're going to have a time of response. 
And my prayer is that the distractions of the day don't change the message that's going to your heart. And it's a simple message that we have messed up our lives in this world and we can't fix it, but Jesus can. To let him change you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for you and the reality that you allow us the opportunity to be saved, changed, transformed by you. It's unbelievable to me, Lord, that you care enough about me that in spite of my rebellion, in spite of my sinfulness, in spite of what I have done against you, you still love me enough that you gave your son to die for my sins. And Lord, I pray that today, even as we are gathered in this place, for many of us, it's because we what we do on Sundays. This is where we come. This is what we do. Lord, I pray that it wouldn't just be another day to be here and to be a part, but Lord, that today would be a day that we would be impacted by the truth of your love and your mercy and your grace and that lives would be changed by it. Not for us, Lord, but to your name be the glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.